You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to This Week in the History of College Football. I am your host, Clint Poppy. Along with me is the college football guru extraordinaire, Jay Abramson, uh, historyofcollegefootball.com. Check him out there, his podcast, his website, his book, all those wonderful things, and we are so thankful to have him with us. This is our 15th installment of This Week in the History of College Football. We started all the way back in August, and in our program, we're going to be looking at December 28th through January 3. Welcome, Jay. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I want to thank you for allowing me time on your wonderful radio broadcast. Well, the pleasure is all ours. We've got lots of memories to spin. When you cover New Year's Day, uh, there's so much history and so little time to recount it. So let's just dig right in. Where are we going to go right out of the gates? Well, Clint, January 2nd, on the state, 1939, USC 7, Duke 3, the Rose Bowl. Now, I don't mean to speak here, and I'm not really given to hyperbole, but I find no loss in the annals of college football history more stunning than this loss. Had the game been 40 seconds shorter... Duke would have amassed a feat since 1938 that no college football team have ever amassed. It would have gone undefeated, untied, unscored upon for the entire season. And as it is, this Duke team was one of only three teams since 1920 to procure the feat in the regular season. Here's the big picture. USC, down to its fourth-string quarterback, Doyle Mays, completes three passes in the closing minute. The last on an 18-yard touchdown to Al Kruger with 40 seconds remaining to come from behind to win 7-3. to had just a single one of those passes fell incomplete, or had the fourth-string quarterback not had the drive of his life, the 1938 Duke Blue Devils, coached by Wade Wallace, most assuredly would be considered the greatest college football team in history. Now for the game itself. The game was a scoreless tie for three quarters, and it had really involved into a punting duel. With time running out in the third quarter, George McAfee, Duke, had a 26-yard punt return to USC's 49-yard line. A tip into McAfee pass set up Duke at the USC 25, and a few plays later, now in the fourth quarter, with 14 minutes remaining in the game, Duke's Tony Ruffer kicked a field goal to give the Blue Devils what looked like, or at least must have looked like at the time, an insurmountable 3 to nothing lead. Again, they had not yielded a point all season. And then it happened. With two minutes remaining in the game, USC was on Duke's 35-yard line. USC coach Howard Jones made the gamble of a lifetime and sent in fourth-string quarterback Doyle Mays to try and generate something and the singular move forever changed the course of college football history. Mays completed two consecutive passes to Al Kruger. That moved USC to the 16-yard line, and with 40 seconds remaining, he threw that touchdown pass to Kruger to secure what many consider the greatest upset in the history of college football. You know, I want to thank you, Jay. I had little uh, appreciation for or knowledge of Duke football and how great that 1938 team was until I started listening to your podcasts and uh, getting educated. The uh, Doyle Mays fourth string quarterback, uh, three completions in a row. It's uh, it is a storybook ending. I can't believe somebody has not made a major motion picture out of this story yet. And uh, 
Maybe after hearing this podcast, somebody will. January 2nd, 1939, USC 7, Duke 3. Certainly one of the biggest upsets in the history of college football. What a great way to start off our program, Jay. This week in the history of college football, December 28 through January 3. Jay, where are we going to go next? January 1st, on this date, 1926. Alabama 20, Washington 19, the Rose Bowl. Oh, what a backdrop year. Wade Wallace's Alabama team entered the game 9-0. They had allowed one score all season, a mere seven points. Washington entered the game 10-0-1. They were scoring 40 points per game. This was a true battle of the heavyweights. A rare battle at that. Up until 1926, the Southern Conference, the conference Alabama was in, was considered a non-powerhouse, and Alabama was a prohibitive underdog. Behind two first-half touchdowns by All-American George Wilson, everything seemed to go scripted as Washington took a 12-0 lead into halftime. And not only that, but the fans and media could not comprehend why the score was that close. But coming out of halftime, Alabama stunned the college football world, scoring 20 points in the first seven minutes of the third quarter to take a 20-12 lead. And in the fourth, Washington had cut the lead to 20-19. to Late in the game, Husky George Wilson broke loose for a long run, only to be tackled before he reached the end zone. Alabama held on to the stunning win, and the tide had stunned the college football world. And Alabama has been stunning the college football world ever since. Isn't that amazing? Um, Alabama considered to come from a weak conference and not a football powerhouse. Oh, how a hundred years or so can change things. January 1st, 1926, Alabama 20, Washington 19. Those are the memory lane trips that Jay Abramson takes us on this week in the history of college football, December 28th through January 3. Jay, spin another memory, would you please? Yes, sir. December 30th, on this date, 1988. Oklahoma State 62, Wyoming 14, the Holiday Bowl. Barry Sanders, running back Oklahoma State, rushed for 222 yards in a Holiday Bowl record of five touchdowns that day. Barry Sanders never played the fourth quarter. That was the season Barry Sanders set multiple NCAA records, including the 2,628 yards rushing that year. Barry Sanders, one of the great names in college football, one of the great names in pro football, one of the great names in sports, and certainly a quality individual as well. Uh, hats off to Barry Sanders and that great memory, December 30, 1988. Where are we going to go next, Jay? January 1st, on this date, 1902, Michigan 49, Stanford 0 the first Rose Bowl in front of 8,500 in a game that at the time was called the Tournament East-West football game. A 3-1-2 Stanford team faced a 10-0 Michigan team, coached by the legend Fielding Yost. Fielding Yost's teams were called the point-a-minute teams because they had outscored opponents 550-0 to that season. This game looked very different than the games played today. 110-yard field, no quarters, two 35-minute halves. And they were given three downs to make five yards, and the forward pass was not legal. Touchdowns, field goals, well, they were worth five points. Uh, I, I digress. Back to the game. At halftime, Michigan led 17 to nothing. In the second half, Michigan's point-a-minute offense took to full center stage. They used a three-pronged rushing attack that ran at will. The player of the game was Michigan's Neil Snow, scored five touchdowns. It was such a one-sided affair, the tournament of Roses decided not to play the Rose Bowl anymore, 
and the Rose Bowl did not resume until 1916. You know, I did a little more digging on that, Jay, and uh, after this um, embarrassing uh, win by Michigan in the uh, 1902 Rose Bowl, the the Tournament of Roses that needed a fundraiser of some kind did indeed have chariot races for many, many years until they brought football back. And uh, these uh, memories from Michigan – uh, the great teams from the uh, early 20th century, uh, perhaps no better football was played ever in the history of college football than in these early years by the Michigan Wolverines. Thanks for that great memory. January 1st, 1902, the first Rose Bowl. Jay, where are we going next? January 1st, on the state, 1940, USC 14, Tennessee 0. The Rose Bowl. Number two, Tennessee enters the game 13-0. Undefeated, untied, unscored upon. Coach Nealon's defense dominated. Their closest game was the season finale, 7-0 shutout of Auburn. Number three, USC enters the game undefeated as well, with two ties at 7-0-2. Well, the Volunteers played the game without their star halfback, George Cafigo, who was injured back on November 11th against Citadel. But what was surprising here was not that. It was that the Vols, gave up the only points the entire season to a team, a USC team, that had been shut out once that season and had scored less than 10 points three times. This day, they scored 14 points. How did they do that? Well, Ambrose Schildner rushed for a touchdown, passed for another to lead the Trojans, and this game was a lone loss in the midst of a 17-consecutive game shutout streak by the Volunteers. Tennessee football, you have to go back a ways before they were uh, powerful and dominant. But these Tennessee teams from the early 1940s are uh, just some of, the, some of the best teams in the history of college football. And to uh, have this memory, January 1st, the Rose Bowl, 1940, USC 14, Tennessee nothing. Great memory. Thanks, Jay. Spin us another one, would you please? Oh, I'm afraid to do this one. January 2nd, on this date, 1984. Miami 31, Nebraska 30. Orange Bowl. Entering the Orange Bowl, Nebraska had capped the 1983 season going 12-0. and They were riding a 22-game winning streak. In his first five games, Coach Tom Osborne's terrifying eye formation put up high-scoring numbers of 44, 56, 82, 42, and 63. They would go on to average 52 points per game that season. Now, facing them in the Orange Bowl that evening was the hometown Miami Hurricanes, who were 10.5-point underdogs. Coach Harrod Schnellenberger's 10-1 team seemingly had come out of nowhere in the game itself. Well, Miami stunned the number one team in the nation, taking a 17-0 lead in the first quarter. A down 17-0 in the second quarter, Nebraska took possession at their own 24-yard line. The Cornhuskers drive downfield to the Miami 19 with a little over. Six minutes gone by in the second quarter. Nebraska was facing a third and five from the Miami 19. Nebraska quarterback Turner Gill snapped the ball, left the ball on the ground for offensive linebacker Dean Steincooler to pick it up and run it into the end zone. The fumble Wooski. One of the most iconic plays in the history of college football, completely fooling the Miami Hurricanes, the TV cameraman, and the announcer who commented, well, I was totally fooled. In the third quarter, Nebraska ties the game at 17, but now it was Miami's turn to storm back, and the Hurricanes took a 31-17 lead. But Nebraska came squirming back in the fourth quarter, 
And here is the finale with one minute, 47 seconds to play. Nebraska trailed Miami 31 to 24. A one loss Miami team. Keep this in mind as the Cornhuskers, remember, were undefeated. The Cornhuskers had to overcome Miami's home crowd. They're leading running back Michael Ogier. Well, he was on the bench with a strained ankle. Facing fourth and eight, Oswald calls a run and a technically a run option. Turner Gill, the quarterback, pitches the ball at the last moment to second string eye back Jeff Smith, who scores. Now, all Coach Osborne has to do is kick the extra point to secure the tie in his first national championship. Remember, they were undefeated. Miami had one loss. In a stunning gamble, Osborne goes for two. Turner Gill's pass was batted out of the hands of Jeff Smith, giving the Hurricanes the win. Coach Tom Osborne, his words, in my mind, I feel we probably didn't deserve the national championship if we backed into it. I don't think I would have voted for us if we settled for a tie. Sometimes heartbreaking dignity often go together in life. I'm sure few, if any coaches, ever achieved more on a loss than Coach Tom Osborne that day. You know, I've I've had the privilege of meeting Tom Osborne on several occasions, and uh, he he is a quality man, a very humble man, very dignified man, uh, has an earned Ph.D. You don't see that very often in college football, and uh, that going for two, he he never even thought about kicking the extra point. Automatically went for two. He endeared himself to college football fans around the nation for attempting to win rather than back into a national championship. Nobody in Nebraska has ever questioned the two-point conversion. However, people in Nebraska have questioned the play call because it was a pass. And uh, most people think if Nebraska simply would have ran the option, they would have scored. But uh, I can still see the ball falling off the fingertips of Jeff Smith and Tom Hosborn being denied that first national championship. But it would come in 1994. We need to take a break this week in the history of college football, December 28th through January 3. Don't change that dial. Thank you, Clint. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to This Week in the History of College Football. I'm your host, Clint Poppy. Along with me is Jay Abramson, noted college football historian. He has been spinning memories for us. Uh, Some are well-known, some not so well-known. Some are heartbreaking, like the one that he shared just a moment ago, the uh, Orange Bowl from January 2nd, 1984, Miami 31, Nebraska 30. Uh, We went all the way back to 1902 and uh, the... Michigan domination of Stanford in the first ever Rose Bowl. We've got lots of memories to spin as we're looking at the week, December 28th through January 3. Jay, welcome back. Where are we going next? Well, again, I want to thank you for allowing me really the past four months. What a wild ride it's been on your wonderful radio broadcast. The uh, one, one of our hearers, Jay, said the fastest 30 minutes on radio. And uh, <laughs> I, took, I took that as quite a compliment. Yes, sir. January 1st, on the state, 1929. Georgia Tech 8, California 7, Rose Bowl. This was the long way Weagles game. In the Rose Bowl, 
a 6-1-1 California team facing an undefeated 9-0 Georgia Tech team. Midway through a scoreless second quarter, defensive lineman Regals picks up a Georgia Tech fumble at the Georgia Tech 30-yard line. He was shoved, got turned around, and raced 69 yards the wrong way. His uh, teammate, Benny Loam, chases him down at the California 3. He attempts to spin him around to get him back in the right direction, but in the process, Regals was tackled by a Georgia Tech player at the one-yard line. Well, California was pinned near its own end zone. They opted the punt. The punt was blocked by Georgia Tech safety and a 2 to nothing lead. Georgia Tech never surrendered the lead. Again, the final score was Georgia Tech 8, California 7, and a game that will forever be remembered as the wrong way Regals game. Oh man, a wrong way Rose Bowl. That is uh, that is amazing. I think most people know of the uh, famous Jim Marshall fumble returned the wrong way in the NFL, but uh, this is a great memory. I had not heard that, Jay. Thank you so much for that. January 1st, 1929, Georgia Tech 8, the Rambling Wreck, California, Golden Bears 7. Where are we going next, Jay? We're going to a game that's dear to my heart. My son, Dig, tells me this was the second greatest college football game ever played. I tell him it was the greatest. January 1st, on the state, 2007. Boise State, 43, Oklahoma, 42. Overtime, Tostitos, Fiesta Bowl. It really may well have been the greatest finish in the history of college football. The game itself pitted David versus Goliath. Number nine, Boise State out of the whack. Ended the game 12-0. And they faced traditional powerhouse number seven, Nebraska, 11-2. The final two minutes in overtime served up an ending to end all endings. With a little over one minute remaining in the game, tied at 28, Oklahoma's Marcus Walker intercepted a Broncos pass and returned it for a touchdown to give the Sooners a 35-28 lead with a minute left in the game. On the ensuing drive, the Broncos quickly drove to midfield where they faced a fourth and 18 with 18 seconds remaining. And here's what happened. Bronco quarterback Jared Zembrowski throws to Drizzen Danes, and James catches the ball to the 35-yard line surrounded by five Sooner defenders, mind you, stoops the ball to Jared Rapp, who catches it running in stride, the hook and ladder play. And Rapp races 35 yards untouched for the half pounding touchdown. A 50-yard hook and ladder only set the stage for the unthinkable to happen in overtime. Oklahoma got the ball first. Adrian Peterson scores a touchdown. The Broncos, now down 42-35, to got their chance. They moved to the five-yard line with the Broncos' direct snap to the halfback, Vinnie Coretta, who then threw a touchdown to Derek Schumann. With the score now 42-41, to Boise State placed all their chips on the table and went for two. And they ran what else the Statue of Liberty played. Zembranski went back to pass, froze, and then, behind his back, handed the ball to Ian Johnson, who races into the end zone to secure the miraculous win in what may have been the greatest finish in the storied history of college football. Now, if you're counting, that was three slides of hand that were executed in a do-or-die situation. And if that was not enough, the game star Ian Johnson proposes to his girlfriend on national TV during the post-game show, and she said yes. Everybody was a Boise State fan that night. Like you said, David and Goliath, how easy it is, how fun it is to root for the big underdog, to root for the little guy. Uh, we didn't have any any gimmicks with a blue field, but we had gimmicks with the play, and I can... I can still remember that hook and ladder, and uh, everybody knew it was coming, and there was nothing you could do to stop it. Um, the gutsy two-point conversion in overtime, uh, 
certainly one of the fantastic finishes in all of college football. January 1st, 2007 Fiesta Bowl, Boise State 43, Oklahoma 42. This is This Week in the History of College Football. We're looking at December 28 through January 3. Jay, spin us another memory. January 1st on the state, 1940. Texas A&M 14, Tulane 13, the Sugar Bowl. Despite ending the Sugar Bowl undefeated, 10-0, number one in the nation, hosting six shutouts and allowing a grand total of 18 points all season, a two of which were on a safety, Homer Norton's Texas A&M Aggies were the underdogs to an 8-0-1, number five, Tulane Green Wave team. The game turned on an epic play. The Aggies, down 13-7, kept a 69-yard drive in the fourth quarter with that epic play to win the game. On the winning drive, A&M drove to the Tulane 27. Five-foot-eight-inch Herbie Smith catches the pass at the 15, and laterals to a streaking John Kimbrough, who literally ran through the defense and into the end zone. One point later... Texas A&M secured the national championship. And as it turned out, the Aggies had dominated the game, 306 to 193 total yards. Texas A&M and Tulane. Texas A&M is always at or near the top in college football now. Maybe uh, maybe not at the top, but near the top. They're, they're a factor. Uh, Tulane, not so much. And when people find out that Tulane used to be a power in football, they are oftentimes shocked. Jay, you've given us two from January 1, 1940. I want to throw a quick one in, January 1, 1941. This was the 27th Rose Bowl and the first ever bowl game for Nebraska. Nebraska was 8-1 and one entering into the game. Their only loss coming earlier in the year to Minnesota, number one. And back in those days, Minnesota didn't go to bowl games. They played Stanford back then, the Stanford Indians, who were 9-0. and oh, And they had been 1-7-1 and one the year before. What changed? The head coach. Clark Shaughnessy had brought the T formation to Stanford and literally revolutionized the game of football. It was a back-and-forth affair, and Stanford was um, leading the game uh, 21-13, or 14-13. They drove down to the Nebraska one-yard line, had first and goal from the one, and Nebraska held them four times. They got the ball back down by one point. Nebraska decided, uh, in this day and age, uh, the unthinkable. They were afraid of a safety, and so they punted on first down. Stanford running back Pete Kometovich returned the punt for a touchdown, 21-13. Nebraska and coach Biff Jones went down to defeat. They never crossed the 50-yard line in the fourth quarter. Nebraska's first bowl game, the Rose Bowl, Stanford 21, Nebraska 13, January 1, 1941. And just a little sidebar on that 1940 season, Jay. Five different teams claimed the national championship for 1940. Minnesota undefeated AP national champion. 
Boston College claims the national championship. Tennessee claims the national championship. Stanford claims the national championship. And believe it or not, even Mississippi State that finished the year 10-0-1 with a tie to Auburn claims to be 1940 national champion. Uh, that's probably worthy of digging out even a little bit more deeply, Jay. Thanks for letting me share that. Oh, my, what a wonderful memory of a game and a season. Wonderfully narrated. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Jay. All right, where are we going next? Well, I had a close friend tell me where the Wisconsin memories. January 1st on the state. 1963, USC 42, Wisconsin 37, the Rose Bowl. This was a historic Rose Bowl. As it marked the first bowl game in the history of college football, where number one faced number two. Entering the game, USC Trojans 10-0, number one, Wisconsin Badgers 8-1, number two. Wisconsin had defeated number one Northwestern and number five Minnesota. Their historic matchup then lived up to the hype, translating into arguably the greatest Rose Bowl ever played down 42-14 to 14 in the fourth quarter. Wisconsin quarterback Ron Van de Kellen led the Badgers to 23 unanswered points, and the Badgers were in position to win the game before time expired. Now, in the process, he said Rose Bowl records for pass attempts, 48, completion, 33, passing yards, 401, really video game numbers at the time. The game turned out to be so close, both quarterbacks were awarded co-players of the game, and though the Badgers lost, they finished number two in the nation. January 1, 1963, and uh, for our Wisconsin fans that are listening, I know that's not the kind of memory that you were hoping for, but it is a great game and a great memory, January 1st, 1963. Jay, as always, we're running short on time. Spin us another memory, would you please? Well, I'll have to talk fast. January 1st on the state, 1916, Washington State 14, Brown 0, the Rose Bowl. Another historic Rose Bowl, historic win. Yes, Washington State entered the game 6-0, and Brown 5-3-1. and But understand this game in its historical context. Brown was an eastern powerhouse. Washington State, they played games in the Northwest. This was the second Rose Bowl. The first Rose Bowl was played in 1902, but the Michigan's 49-0 defeat was so decisive, the tournament of Roses decided not to schedule it anymore. They thought the Western schools couldn't keep up with the rest of the nation. Fast forward, 1916. Rose Bowl finally plays its second game and with the eyes of the nation wondering whether this Western school, Washington State, could keep up with Brown in front of over 7,000 fans on a muddy field. Washington State and Brown were embattled in a scoreless tie at halftime. But behind the running of fullback Carl Dietz, who rushed for 105 yards in the touchdown, Washington State scored 14 second-half points and the defense stifled the Eastern Power Brown and its All-American halfback, Fritz Pollard, who was the first African-American to play in the Rose Bowl and it secured the Cougars' decisive win. January 1, 1916. Washington State wins the Rose Bowl over Brown. Uh, Boy, teams that have gone in completely different directions than Rose Bowl teams since 1916. Jay, I think we can squeeze one more in. Got a short one then. December 31st on the state, 1973. Notre Dame 24, Alabama 23, Sugar Bowl. Arab Parsegians, number three, Notre Dame, 10 0, defeats Coach Paul Bear Bryant's number one Alabama team, 11 0, as Bob Thomas kicks a 19 yard field goal with a little over four minutes left in the game. 1973, December 31st. Jay, 
Um, we've been we've been spinning memories, like you said, uh, for about four months now. And uh, let me just take a moment to uh, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your expertise. Thank you for uh, sharing these memories. And, uh, you know, we've got lots more memories to share. You can only squeeze so many in in a 30-minute program. We're not sure if we'll do a volume two of this week in the history of college football in the future or go off in a little bit different direction. But it has been a great honor and a great pleasure not only to have you on our radio station here in Lincoln, but uh, to be able to get to know you and uh, to become friends. So, uh, Jay, on behalf of KNNALP 95.7 in Lincoln, Nebraska, and me personally, thank you. I want to thank you. You've been a gentleman. You've been a scholar. You've been a good friend. And I greatly appreciate these past four months have been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for tuning in to This Week in the History of College Football. We'll be back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.